0: If you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. There's a lot there, and I want to pull some things out of it. Remember last week we just talked about um, Jesus came and ushered in the new covenant. The Pharisees brought this adulterous woman and placed her in the midst, and Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You are forgiven. Because of the blood of Christ, we are forgiven for our sins. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So then we pick up in 12, and here he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Old Testament law was the light, was the righteousness, the word of God to his people, and which was able to keep them. But as we talked about last week, as humanity has fallen, there's nothing wrong with the light of the law and what it intended to do for us. But because humanity, we are fallen. We cannot keep it. And now Jesus displays this new covenant to the adulterous woman, and he says, "I'm the light of the world." There's this, uh, there's this uh, uh, transference from the law to Jesus. Jesus saying, "I am the righteousness of God. I am the radiant glory of God." I am the light of the world. I am showing you the way. I am keeping you. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There's this transference. From the law to Jesus, I'm the way, Jesus is saying. I am the light of the world. And in me, a relationship with me, you will not walk in darkness. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus, the light of the world. Colossians 1. Paul is writing to Christians in the church, believers, people who have accepted Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within them. And so he's writing a letter to them. In Colossians 1 verse 9, says this, and so, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, this is the light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this is what he's saying. As Paul is praying for his people, he is saying, the light is this. The light is the knowledge of God's will. The light is all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. This is what he means when he says, I'm the light of the world. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in me. So as you know me, you will have all understanding, all knowledge, all spiritual wisdom in which keeps you, in which guides you, in which compels you. Jesus, the light. And the light speaks to all situations. Every decision that we make, every every situation that we walk into and encounter in our life, the light is available for you. There is knowledge and understanding and wisdom available to you in the light about how do I make this decision? Where do I walk from here? Where do I go? What is godly? What is ungodly? What is righteous? What is unrighteous? What is God asking of me? What is in in line with his nature? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, which means you will not walk in confusion. You will not wander. You will not walk aimlessly. You will not think, is this the best? Is this all life has got for me? Because darkness and darkness is a lonely place. It's a destructive place. Jesus, the light of the world, came to give us understanding, knowledge of him. The ability to hear from the Spirit of God. Verse 10 in Colossians goes on, Paul goes on to say, so as to walk, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Jesus came to be the light to give you understanding and knowledge of God. So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Ask yourself is the manner of my life worthy of the gospel? Does the manner of my life reveal that I have received understanding and wisdom in the Spirit? This is what Jesus came to die for us. To put us in right standing with God. And to show us the way. To show us how to have a relationship. To show us what we were made for in this life. He lights it up for us. And he exposes everything else. The reason why, when we follow Christ, we don't walk in darkness anymore is because Jesus has exposed what is dark. He has exposed the fallacies of the things that are in darkness. What do I mean by that? Look with the, back to John chapter 8, verse 13. Look what the Pharisees said after Jesus says this. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. This is like round 27 between Jesus and the Pharisees here. Okay, they've been having all these conversations at the temple. And one of the things about what the Pharisees say here is you're being witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. This is an old argument. We saw this back in John chapter 5. This is an old argument for the Pharisees. This is darkness that Jesus has already exposed. This is a dark way of thinking that Jesus has already exposed. Because he goes on to address them. Hey, even if I were to bear witness about myself, it would be true. But I don't just bear witness about it. There are other witnesses that bear about my testimony. The Father, John chapter, back in John chapter five, John the Baptist. The deeds and wonders and signs that he was doing bear witness. There are other testimonies that bear witness about himself. This is an old argument. And one of the things that will keep you walking in the dark is to relate to God out of all your objections for him. Going back to the same objections, going back to the same arguments, going back to the same questions. I'm not saying don't have questions. We all have questions. I have had questions. But to relate to God out of your objections for him over and over and over again is only going to produce a hard-heartedness inside of you in which you will just continue to walk in darkness and accept to, accept and trust and submit to what God says. Do you relate to God? Do you have a hard time with Christianity because you relate to God out of your objections for him? And what I mean by this is one of the ones that I heard several times, two times to be exact this past week. If God was real, which I don't think he is, If he was real, explain what you see in the world. It's, a, it's an objection. It's not a new objection. It's an objection that's been around for a long time. And it's probably been explained before. And if it hasn't, and if it's, if it's an objection that you have, Let me explain it now, this morning, to shed some light. As ultimately as this, because this this question, this objection, was rooted in God's wrath in the Old Testament. I can't believe in a God like that. That's not a loving God. God's not real. No, thank you. Not the wrath that I've read in the New Testament. Here's God's nature. Here's why you see what you see in the Old Testament. One is that God is completely holy. He's completely holy, which means there is no blemish in him. There's no sin in him. It's perfection, no blemishes. He's completely other than, set apart than us. Holy, perfection, which means this. This God will not defile himself with sin, which means because us as humans are sinful outside of Christ, we are sinful, God cannot relate to us because he will not defile himself with sin. back on. And there's punishment for sin because God is holy. There's punishment for sin because he is just. He is holy and he is just. And just means he cannot do anything other than what is just. We love justice. We have court systems where we all would advocate And we would all plead for justice to happen in every situation. And that's God's nature. He cannot do anything other than what is completely just. And we have a problem with what is just in the Old Testament. Because ultimately it reveals in us what's wrong with us. We don't have a problem with justice until it becomes personal. We don't have a problem with justice until we have to stand on the podium and give a defense. And so the just punishment for sin is death. And the Bible is clear about that. And There's no way that I can sugarcoat that to you. That hell is a real thing. And that this just punishment For sin is death, because God cannot be in relationship with sin. And so that's why why you see what you see in the Old Testament. You see God's wrath, and the God of the New Testament is the same. He hasn't changed. His wrath is the same in the New Testament as it is the Old Testament. So if you have a problem with God's wrath in the Old Testament, you've got to have a problem with God's wrath in the New Testament. Because all that wrath was poured out on his son for you. His son took all that wrath for you and I. That was justice. God executed justice for our sin. We've got to be careful not to relate to God out of all of our objections for him. Because ultimately, in our hard heartedness, because really our objections don't stem from the truth. Our objections stem from what we've experienced in our lives. It's our way of rationalizing what we've walked through, what we've been through. And so our objections don't find themselves in the truth. But Jesus being the lie of the world is the truth who provides understanding, wisdom, makes sense of things, shows us the way. And as we follow him, we will not walk in confusion. As we follow him, we will learn to trust God. We will learn to trust him in things that we can't even rationalize, things that we can't wrap our minds around. Because we walk with him. We've experienced the transformation in our lives. We learn to trust him. Ultimately, what you see in the Pharisees here in John chapter 8 is they, keep, they, don't, they don't trust him. They don't trust what he's saying. They don't hear what he's saying. They keep relating to him out of these same old objections. And we see here in, later in this passage that they bring up a new objection, Verse 31 is new, this new objection. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The Pharisees previously to chapter eight have been using Moses. To defend their stance and their beliefs. To guard off Jesus and his teachings. They were using Moses. Now Moses gave us the law. Ultimately, Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. Here they bring Abraham. Jesus had just said, and we'll get to in a second. If you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and the truth will set you free. And then they counter with, we are sons of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. What they're saying is that the promise of God, the promise of, uh, 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 that the, the God is our God. We are his people, The promises that he's made in the Old Testament; those are to us, Israel. He's our God. The things that he said he would do; those promises are for us. Which means I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. we're, We're not enslaved to anybody. We're God's people. The promised land; that's ours. The blessings to that come, that's ours. We're not enslaved to anybody. We're sons of Abraham. Jesus answered them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. What Jesus says to them is that you've traded. You've traded what God promised to you, the inheritance of God to you, you've traded that. Like Jacob and Esau. You've traded your inheritance. Also what Jesus says here is you no, you're, you're not a son. You're a servant, which means you will not stay in the house of God forever. Sons of God stay in the house forever. Sons of God get to experience the promises and the blessings of God. But you've traded your sonship, you've chosen to walk in darkness you've devised all these religious ceremonies and laws that God had never given you so that you can be this pompous arrogant high uh, high authority individual who domineers over everybody else and leads everybody else away from the gospel you're deceiving people you've chosen to walk in darkness to trade in the promises you are a servant for now you are not a son, and the sun doesn't stay in the house forever. And then Jesus says, "But if the sun sets you free, free indeed you are. If the sun sets you free, free indeed you are. Because Jesus came to be the light. He is the light, exposing our darkness, exposing our sin, showing us the way. To set us free from the bondage of sin, from the consequence of eternal death. He is the light, He is the radiant glory of God, showing us the way, setting us free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want to know if you have sonship in God's house, in his family? Do you abide in his word? Do you rest in his word? Do you trust his word? Do you believe his word? Do you rest in his word? Does it cause you to express your life in a way that is other than darkness? Is there fruit producing out of your life? Are you abiding in his word? Because when you abide in his word, that truth will eliminate all objections you have towards God and will set you free to love him to experience his love, to find purpose, and to ultimately have hope that the best is yet to come. If you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples. The band's going to come back up. How do you abide? How do you abide in his word? His word's right here in which he's given to us. This is the light. This is the radiant glory of God that he has graciously given to us. abiding in the truth of his words, resting in this. A couple weeks ago, Adam talked about that Jesus is this living water that when we drink of him, when we drink of his word, there will be this outpouring, this flowing river that outpours out of our heart. When you abide in, In the word of God, there will be this outpouring of life that comes out of you. Because the truth has set you free. And you're no longer held down by the bondage. Held down by your own sin. Those who practice sin, which means those who make sin. Literally, the literal translation, those who make sin consciously choose to engage in a sinful lifestyle. Those who make sin will be a slave to sin. And without Christ, without the light, we'd all be a slave to sin. He's the only one that has set us free. He's the only one who can set us free. And it says the truth, Jesus sets you free. Both the truth of what he's done for you in the truth and what he commands our life to look like, not out of moral behavior, but out of compelment. In Christ, I want you to, to know this this morning. As you abide in him, you have sonship in his house in which you will remain forever. And the promises that God makes are for you. Let's pray. God, we want to flee our sin. We want to flee this lifestyle of making sin. We want to flee from those things because we know that those things only cause us to walk in darkness. And we take for granted and we take for in vain the light that you've sent to us in your son to expose that. And not just to expose that, not just to say you're condemned. Way to go. You're just, you've, you've just enslaved yourself to sin. Way to go. No, that's not what you've done. You sent the light to expose it, but then to set us free from it. And so, God, we don't choose a life in which we choose to make sin, but we choose your truth. We choose to abide in your word so that we would have wisdom and understanding and spiritual insight that guides us into holiness. So, God, as we sing, we want to glorify your holiness. We want to lay down our objections for you. Amen. I just feel like I'm supposed to say this, okay, this morning as it. Pertains to the passage is, is one, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I think about this church often. I think about you often it's because I love you. And it's because, I, because that, because I love you, when you think about how do I abide in him? For a lot of us, let me just say this. Abiding in Him means that we have to stop going to Him for what we want, for what He can do for us, and instead going to Him to know Him so that the truth can set us free. Because for a lot of us, our objections are I've tried this thing. I've tried to do these things. I've tried to do this Christianity and I haven't seen any change in my life. Nothing has gotten better in my life. There's no more peace than there was before. Abiding in his word, being set free by the light is to go to him to know him. It's to go to him to know him. Not going to him for what he can do for me. Because what will happen when you go to him for what he can do for you, what he can do, you know, for for, for your marriage or for your kids or for whatever that you want him to do for you, what will happen is that he'll give you what it is that you desire only to show you it wasn't enough. Because you may have got what you wanted, but you didn't get Me. To abide in his word is to go to his word because you want to know him because you're compelled that he's died for you. That's what it means to abide in him. This one, I want to encourage you. Paul's going to be up here up front. Okay, I'm encourage you. Come pray for Paul. Come share an encouragement with Paul. This is a bold move for Paul in his young life. And so as he begins to figure out and understand what God is doing in him and what God is calling him to, this is uncomfortable for him. Stepping out, saying yes. He doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't have it all figured out. But he's saying yes. And so I encourage you, come encourage him, okay? If you don't have lunch plans, show up to acquaint gatherings at 1230 for lunch, okay? It'd be a chance where you can get to know Paul and his family and, uh, and, 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 and learn how better you can pray for him while he's gone, okay? Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.